Good morning, and thank you all for coming out, especially on a lovely, dry, bright bank holiday weekend. Is it ridiculous that a dry bank holiday weekend makes news headlines? It must be a rarity. This morning, as we have already heard, we are discarding a series known as Generations. And my task this morning is to set the foundation. And so I hope you understand that what we are going to do over the incoming number of months and years is to unpack some of the things that I am talking about this morning. This is not going to be a detailed explanation. It sets the scene, and as we set the scene, then from there, we will move on to develop some of the topics, either speaking or even potentially in workshops and opportunities in particular for young families to get together. I am reminded of the story of a man who was the foreman of a factory in a rather remote town. The factory was the sole employer. There was no other contact around about. And his job was very important. Every morning he put on his bowler hat because he was the foreman. All the other people wore flat caps. He made his way down the street into the office and there he waited until eight o'clock precisely. And at eight o'clock precisely, he sounded the factory horn and everybody had to be in work. At five o'clock in the evening, he sounded the factory horn and everybody had to be in work. This went on day after day, day after day, week after week, except on Monday. On Monday, it was slightly different. On Monday, as he was going to work, he would stop off at the local jewelers and look into the window of the jeweler's shop where there was an array of clocks. And he was amazed because every one was set to the exact time. So he lifted out his pocket watch, set his pocket watch to the time which was there in the jeweler's window. Using that pocket watch, he sounded the horn. That was fine until radio arrived in this remote town. The foreman was one of the first people to get the radio. And he set his radio up. Those of you who are older will know what I mean. It took up a whole room. He set up his radio and he tuned into the BBC and he waited for the time check. Ladies and gentlemen, at the sound of the bell, it will be seven p.m. Bing, bing, bong. He looked at his watch. It was a way out. Bore no resemblance to the 7 p.m. He waited to 8 o'clock, same thing. And so they rushed down the next morning to the jeweler's shop, and he said, do you know that your clocks are wrong? How do you get the information for your clocks? Oh, he says, it's simple. He said, I just wait till I hear the factory horn, and then I set the clock. What happened? What had happened was the point of reference was wrong. 
And because the point of reference was wrong, everything gradually and slowly deviated. It slowly moved away from that which was right because the point of reference was wrong. And if we don't have that point of reference within our society in so many ways, we deviate and slowly move away. 30 years ago this year, believe it or not, John Major made a very important speech. For those of you who don't know who John Major was, he was the Prime Minister. John Major made a very important speech. And that speech was entitled, Back to Basics. And it was ridiculed. People attacked it. People started to look at it and say, how on earth can this group of men who were leading the government talk about back to basics? They talked about society, going back to basics, going back to, and he specifically mentioned the family. The problem was this. Whenever they started to investigate that government and the speech and those who had made the speech, they found that the government was full of scandal. And the very things that they were advocating and back to basics were not happening in government. And in 1997, John Major and the Conservatives lost the election. And one of the reasons was because of back to basics. And you see, since then, 1993, within these last 30 years, with regards to the family, we have seen more changes than probably in any generation that has taken place before us. Radical changes. Changes that you would never have expected. Changes which are so significant that makes my talk this morning controversial. Can you think of that? If I talk about the family this morning, my talk is controversial. That is how radical things have moved. So, where do we go for basics? Well, I could start with history. I'll take you back to history. You've all fallen asleep already. But whenever you look at the historical portrayal of a family in all of the books, have you ever looked at them? There's dad sitting in a comfy chair with his pipe and his newspaper up at a blazing fire, mom sitting knitting, and two children down on the floor playing a little board game, and everybody is happy. Have you ever seen that? You go further back into Victoriana, you get the picture of a Victorian society. The reality is that nothing can be further from the truth than from that happy picture. It does happen. Don't get me wrong. But for many, many people, that's not reality. My wife will tell you, I am not a fan of Christmas. I love Christmas presents, but I couldn't be bothered with all the fuss. And you know what really annoys me more than anything about Christmas? is the Christmas ad that shows everybody sitting around a perfect Christmas table with this perfectly cooked turkey and a whole happy family. Is your house like that? No. We're going to history. 
I can take you back into my experience as a teacher of over 40 years, or nearly 40 years. 20 years of that 40 years, I was engaged, heavily engaged in what we call pastoral care work within the, the school, interacting with families, dealing on the front edge of the problems that were occurring right through the period of the troubles into the 80s, into the 90s. I saw it. I saw the disintegration of family. I saw the pain. I had parents sitting in my room crying their eyes out. I had a father coming in and talking to me about the breakdown of his marriage and how his son had walked out. I could go on. You see, it's not the norm. As a matter of fact, whenever I was helping to train young teachers and later on in my career, I said to them and had a conversation with them and I started off by talking about their background. And the majority of them came from this stable, middle-class background. And I said, for one moment, don't you think that the children in the families you're addressing share that background? I could be really risky. And I could look at it from the perspective or the lens of my marriage. In a couple of years' time, my wife and I celebrate 50 years of marriage. I'm not going to do that because I'd like to get to the 50. That would be marital suicide. Because as soon as I start telling you, from my experience in marriage, here's how you should do it, I get in that car, and before I'm done at Shaftesbury Square, I'll be reminded of what I said. And that would be the same for everybody. So we can't look at it from history. We can't look at it from, if you like, academia, society. We can't look at it from our own personal experience. If we want to find that point of reference, where do we go? And I'm going to take you this morning to the Bible. And I believe my worldview is a Christian. And I believe that the Bible is the Word of God, literally and complete. From Genesis chapter 1 to the end of the book of Revelation, I believe every word of it is the Word of God. I believe that the Word of God is God the Creator, the one who created us, has spoken to us through His Word. And that is my Christian worldview. And because of my Christian worldview, I apply that in how I live. And I make no apology for that. It is who I am. If you cut me to the bone, you'll find that it is my worldview. Now, I fully understand that there are other worldviews, many worldviews. But if you're like, intrinsically, there's two. There's one that believes in God and that God has spoken, and one that doesn't believe in God and God hasn't spoken. And I want to take you this morning to the Christian worldview, to the Christian definition, to what the Bible says is the baseline, to what is our point of reference from which we should deviate. So, if you look in the Bible, there are three occasions one verse is mentioned. You throw the verse up there, Alex, we'll look at it. 
And here it is. It's mentioned in Genesis chapter 2 and 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is written in the early books of the Bible. Within the first couple of verses, God speaks. This isn't some prophet. This isn't some academic. This is God speaks. And God says, man shall leave his father and his mother. And then if we move on, we read in, in the Gospels that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks. And he repeats exactly the same words again. He's dealing with the whole question of divorce and remarriage, a complex question. They were trying to trick him and they were asking him difficult questions. And Jesus takes right back to these very same words. He says in Matthew chapter 19, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. There it is. Exactly the same. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what God has joined together, let not man separate. You see, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, takes you back to creation. Takes you back to the words of God the Father. He says, here it is. This is the truth. This is the basis. This is the point of reference. And then the Apostle Paul picks it up. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Three times. Once in the Old Testament, once from the words of Christ, once from the Apostle Paul, the same words, and this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And then if you wanted to look for subsections of that verse, you'll find them scattered right throughout the scriptures. This is a point of reference. Now, as I said, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world which is sinful and has been touched by sin. And what I am saying this morning, I am taking you to the point of reference. I'm taking you to the, the foundation. I'm taking you to God's design. But each and every one of us, and many in this room, your view of family, your view of marriage, your view of fatherhood, motherhood, children, all of it will be tarnished by some of the incidents which I related to you in my introduction. Not all of us, not all of us, come from that ideal family situation, dad reading the paper, mom knitting, 
children playing board games. If only we don't. But if we lose the point of reference, then we don't know how much we have moved away. So I want to take this verse in Genesis, and I want to dig into it. And let's look at it in the last couple of minutes that we have. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Notice, a man, his father, his mother. Within those first words, we have a family. A father, a mother, and a child. And here we have this triangle. Father, mother, child. And this is the basis of God's creation. This is the point of reference. My, my grandchildren uh, get all these sort of toys. Some of them, I don't even understand them. You have to press buttons and things on them. But some of them are really good and genius. Well, one of the things that they got was, I don't even know what they're called, but they're triangles, wee triangles, which are magnetic. And you stick them all together, and you make these magnificent three-dimensional ships. You can tell this is a grandma talking. Okay, you make these three-dimensional ships. And whenever they're brought, and, and, and they look at the book of instructions, and, and they make all these things, and they make a globe, and they make a square, and they make all these things, and you help out, and you think, that's amazing. Do you know what happens? Some of them get lost. Some of them get broken. And what was a triangle sometimes becomes two-sided or a single piece. Sometimes the magnet doesn't work. Sometimes everything just breaks down. And when you take those broken pieces and try to incorporate them into the shape, it distorts the whole shape. You can't make that three-dimensional object. You can cope with one or two breakdowns. But when you've got a universal breakdown, then the three-dimensional shape that you originally were trying to make according to the instructions you were given fails. Can I suggest to you, and I, I do this with utter care, utter care, Knowing that in this room alone, many of you will have had different experience, vast experience of family. But God's plan for society, God's plan for you and me, was that the three, that triangle, father, mother, child, would be the formation and whenever it all holds together then the three-dimensional object, the final product, can be built. But today, what do we see? I've seen it firsthand. I've worked with it. So have you. The breakdown of that basic family structure. 
And this is repeated time and time again throughout Scripture. Man, father, mother. But then it says a man will leave his father and his mother. And whenever you're talking about the culture of the day, for a, fa a man to leave his family was a public event. It, it was significant. It was something which people recognized. And so therefore, leaving your family at this time is obviously leaving your family to establish a new way of life. And so the man leaves his family. Leaves his family. Leaves his mother and his father. Can I stress that? Can I stress that to you, those of you who are embarking upon a new relationship, eventually leading to marriage, those of you who are just recently married, even those of you who have been married ye for years, you have a responsibility to your parents. Never reject, neglect that. The Bible is quite categorical on that. The Bible in the Ten Commandments, you've got Ten Commandments, four of them are social, three of them relate to the family, one of them focuses on your relationship with your parents. But you leave to establish a new family. Mums and dads, you let them go. That is one of the hardest things to do. I can still remember coming back from my son's wedding. He was my younger son. My daughter was already married. My wife and I are driving down the road. I can take you to the spot on the road from Bangor as we drove down. She said to me, what do we do now? Our whole life had been poured into our children. And now we step back because they leave. Young person, your responsibility moves. And then it says, and they hold fast to his wife. The family unit is reestablished. They hold fast to his wife. You've heard leave and cleave, old English. But that picture of holding fast is, is really important. To, to hold fast to your wife isn't just something that happens. The only time that I can find in the Bible a word or a time that it comes close to using again is in the book of Deuteronomy, where God speaks to the people of Israel and he tells them to leave the idol, idols that they're following and cleave to him, hold fast to him. It's a conscious decision to step away from that which they were believing, that which they were working with, that which they were pouring their lives into, and to move away and, and to hold fast and to pour it into a new relationship. It's almost sometimes like gluing two pieces of wood together. Now, I know today, you can take two pieces of glue and just do that there, the stick. Not like that in the old days. You had to work at getting things to stick. 
You had to clamp them. You had to tie them. You had to work at it to get it to stick. And that is what God is saying here within this verse. He's saying, you leave a family and you cleave to your wife and you work at it. Nearly 50 years, both Audrey and I have been working at it. Yes, you have those honeymoon days. They last an hour. And then you move into reality. Okay? Then you're living together, two totally different people from two totally different backgrounds. Yes, you got to know each other while you were dating, but you weren't living with each other. By the way, note that. that living with each other is in marriage. And they, they, you, you don't know each other. You've got to get to know each other's idiosyncrasies. I don't know why Audrey had any trouble. I don't have any. But Audrey has some. Now I, I am in trouble. <laughs> but the requirement was this, that we had to work together. And then the children came along, and we had to work together. And then whenever the children came along and grew up as became teenagers, we bore the scars together. And if any parent here hasn't raised teenagers, trust me, you will be scarred. But you needed to work together and cleave together. And then whenever you moved into retirement and you're living with each other 24-7, it changes the dynamics and the relationship. And you have to work at it. Marriage isn't easy. Family life isn't easy. If it was, there'd never be a divorce. If it was, there'd never be a problem. The reality is that it is hard. You know, I heard of a conversation recently about a woman who was in the hairdressers. And she was getting her hair done. Oh, why are you getting your hair done? Well, I want to get my hair styled for the wedding, and I'm, I'm just experimenting. Oh, she says, when do you get married? She said, get married in a month. Oh, very, very good. And she said, I was thinking of getting a tattoo of his name on my arm. I almost said to the hairdresser, don't do that. That's permanent. Think about that. We move into cleaving today, thinking, oh, I can just set it aside if it doesn't work out. But the Lord Jesus Christ, when he spoke about it, in that second reference that I made to you about living and living together and the issue of divorce, he says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, again, I know. And I know from pastorally, I know. Our families don't always work out. I know there are problems. I have counseled people and told them to separate because of the situation that was in their family home. I'm talking about the point of reference. God's ideal. What God has planned. And just like the watch is possible to deviate. Hold fast, cleave, work at it so that you're stuck together through all of life. But it's even stronger because he says then, 
and they shall become one flesh. You know what the Lord Jesus Christ said in reference to this verse? What God has joined together. I want you to just focus on that for a moment. We look at marriage as being a solemn occasion. We look at it here as the marriage takes place. We see the vows being taken. We see the legal documents. We see two families being united. We see two people coming together. We see all of that. But through the act of intimacy, the, the sexual act, God brings a man and a woman together, joins them. Paul goes on to say this is a mystery. I don't understand that, he says. But the only close analogy that I can make of it is this, that if you take two metals and you blend them together to make an alloy, you can't separate one from the other. They're together. And so when God sees a married couple, he sees them joined. Joined through the sexual act, an intimate experience which the Bible clearly teaches is restricted to the marriage experience. Paul, whenever he's talking about deviating from that, from that joining together, he talks about it in Corinthians, whenever he talks about deviating from that, he uses some of the harshest words in the New Testament. And so this is God's model. There are circumstances in life which in the fallen world in which we live, in which that model breaks down. But how should we as Christians live in that model? The primary thing at this moment in time, if you are a Christian family, by that I mean mother and father, believers, bringing up their children. And it is absolutely imperative that we and you set an example to an outside world. A number of years ago, my father-in-law and mother-in-law were celebrating a golden wedding anniversary, and it is quite a few years ago. And we went to book a hotel room for a family celebration. And the girl said, can I ask what it's for? My wife said, it's for a golden wedding anniversary. Oh, she said, that's lovely. We rarely see those today. And so for a Christian family to stay together through the difficulties and the hardship, to cleave to one another, to remember that they're joined, to reach out and bring up their children and nourish them in the Word of God, that is God's ideal. And we should reflect that. But even within our congregation, and certainly within our society, that ideal breaks down. And where and how do we deal with that? 
is complex. Too many decisions in Northern Ireland are black and white. It's this or this. But whenever you start to look at it, there is the shade of gray. And we as Christian leaders and as Christians and fellow Christians have got to work with those who are experiencing difficulty, have experienced difficulty, counsel, help, support, encourage, and move them forward. It's not easy, but this is God's model. But in closing, the Apostle Paul takes it one step further. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Yes. This is a profound mystery. Yes. A God joins two together, profound mystery. But he takes it further. But I am talking about Christ and the church. You see, God's model for family replicates the Godhead. Think about that. Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Father, Mother, Child. And this is a complex area, and five minutes doesn't allow me to discuss it in more detail, but we will come back to it. But within that there, there is a union takes place. A mysterious union takes place between the church universal, that's the worldwide believers, and Christ. And Paul says, it's a mystery. I don't fully understand that, he says, but we are joined together with Christ in a way in which we can never be separated. The Bible talks about it in the book of Revelation, about the church being the, the wife of Christ, the bride of Christ, with all of the implications of Genesis chapter 2 built into that verse. But it's more than that. God reflects the family in so many of the aspects of the Bible. We're taught that he is our Father, God the Father, our Father who art in heaven. We're talked, as I mentioned, that Christ is our bride, our wife. We are called children of God. Well, great the Father's love towards us that you should be called children of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. All of those are familial terms. Those all reflect God's design for the family today in the Christian church. Father, bride, brothers and sisters, children, it's all there. And so you can see that what we have done this morning is just touched upon some of these issues that we need to unpack over the next couple of months. But let me, in conclusion, talk about Genesis and Revelation. You see, in the book of Genesis, 
You have a garden created and then a marriage. And in the book of Revelation, in the very end, you have a marriage and then a garden created. So the very first words in the Bible talk about God creating and dwelling with mankind at a marriage. And the very last words in the Bible are about God creating a marriage and dwelling with mankind. And do you know those two chapters at the start of Genesis and the two chapters at the end of Revelation are the only four chapters in the Bible not affected or tarnished by sin at all. The garden in Genesis and the garden on the New Jerusalem in Revelation is the only time that you don't have a broken world. We live in a broken world. We live to the standard which God has ordained. We look forward to that which is planned. And I don't know about your family background at the moment, difficult that it might be, but there is a day coming when you will be part of a perfect family in a way which we cannot understand, a mystery for those who have faith and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many issues that need to be tackled singleness, divorce, etc. And time does not permit us to develop them, but we will over the weeks that lie ahead. But there it is. God ordained, and God will fulfill. Let's close in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is a baseline for our belief that as Christians we base our lives on the Word of God, that we turn to it for instruction and guidance. We pray our Father at this moment in time for those who may be struggling, those who are struggling with regards to family life, for all those implications that that may bring. We realize the pain, we realize the anxiety, the worry, we realize that dread in the pit of their stomach. But our Father, we just pray that they may know the comfort of Almighty God and the support of fellow believers as they travel on this difficult journey. But our Father, we acknowledge that you are the God who establishes and the God who has a design and a plan. But our Father, we thank you that there in the garden you established your design and that in a future garden we will see its utter fulfillment, ultimate fulfillment. And so, our Father, we thank you for the relationship we have with you through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lead us and guide us, we pray, as we consider the matters we have discussed this morning. 
the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.